magic lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author whose mission is to help people achieve a deeper connection with their horses through his transformational training program. Just because he knows that you know. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I am your host Warwick Schiller and today I have another extraordinary human being as a guest. Today I get to have a chat to Stacey Westfall. Now, a lot of you people who are horse people have probably heard of Stacy. If you haven't heard of Stacy, go on to YouTube before this whole thing starts and look up Stacy Westfall uh, Freestyle Reining. And uh, Stacy was a horse trainer, still is a horse trainer, but was a horse trainer and, and did a freestyle reining uh, a number of years ago that was bareback and bridleless. And she did it in a wedding dress. It was at uh, the All American Quarter Horse Congress that she dedicated to her father who had passed away. And this particular video went viral. And because of it, Stacy actually ended up being on the Ellen DeGeneres show and actually had Ellen DeGeneres get on a reining horse and spin her. So, you know, that's one of one of uh, Stacy's claims to fame. She's since uh, been a road to the horse cha- champion of road to the horse. She's inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. And she's just an all-around um, amazing human being. And I'm sure when you guys listen to this podcast, you'll you'll feel you'll feel the energy of her. I actually um, recorded this podcast with Stacy this morning, probably six or seven hours ago, and I I think I'm still still buzzing from feeling her energy. She's such just got such a bright spirit and such an amazing human being, and it's a great story she has to tell. So I uh, enjoy. I uh, implore you guys to sit back and enjoy this uh, long but amazing chat with the one and only Stacey Westfall. Stacey Westfall, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Thanks for having me. Stacey Westfall, what's up? This is going <laughs> to be so cool. I'm, I'm so excited to have you on here. For this is super a lot exciting. of different reasons. I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I was super. I was glad when we connected on on Clubhouse, and kind of got to start talking again. Yeah, that the that uh, Clubhouse is is a new. I don't even know how to describe that thing. What? Do you, how would you? How would you describe that? It's a new you know social I media. Yeah, when somebody was saying to me, um, you know, you should you should check out you know this new thing, and I was thinking the last thing I need is another social platform, really. <laughs> And so I did some Google searching and I listened to a podcast because I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I listened to a podcast and somebody said, it's kind of like when you used to be able to like pick up a phone and listen, like maybe, you know, you had like the, maybe you had several phones in the house and you'd, you know, several of you could be on there and you could be listening to a conversation that other people were having. Now, hopefully that was like a legally, like you were supposed to be doing that thing. But anyway, it it is. It's a lot like listening to a conversation, and then you can raise your hand or whatever, and actually move up and talk. and And I do think it has a a lot to offer as a unique platform. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, you know, it's you've got to be invited to be on it, at least at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think the audience is limited. So for me, it's 
I'm trying to use it a bit, not so much about being the guy at the front of the room doing the talking, but being at the back of the room doing the listening, mm-hmm. you know, because you can get on there and, and listen to guys like Gary Vanderchung and, mm-hmm. you know, like, like yeah. real people, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like big time influences of, of people's thoughts and stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's, it's pretty cool. But yeah, it was great to, it was great to catch up with you on there and what, one of the things I'm really excited to chat with you about today at some point in time is you maybe have started to head in the same direction I'm heading or I'm heading in the same, I've discovered that I'm heading in the same direction that you've already headed. I'm not <laughs> saying I went there first, but that whole, uh, that whole beyond horse training stuff that, that that listening to horses, that communication, that letting them know that you see those little things. Um, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I think it's not only the future of getting along with horses, but I think in order to start doing that sort of stuff, you kind of got to change who you are. And if everybody does a bit of that, we might actually change the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, you know, for me, it's a little bit like returning to my childhood because that piece of me, my mom was really big into. Now she didn't have the training to necessarily like have the educated. Okay. So for example, we had no idea, like if a horse wouldn't load in a trailer, we didn't know what to do, but my mom could really accurately read that the horse was stressed. Now she didn't know what to do with it, but she could really accurately read animals in general. She's one of those people that it's interesting. Like I went up to visit her a few years ago and the dog she had at the time was I mean, she's like a person that's accidentally trained the dog to identify 20 different toys by voice in conversation. Hey, Mr. Moose, go over and get me the newspaper. Good job. Can you put away this? Good job. Because she's very intuitive and and creates really good feedback loops with all animals. And so I think I was really blessed to have a foundation of that type of thinking. Wow. Um, have you ever, you know, the dog skid boot? I don't. Lives in the dog skid boot? Um, there's a guy from Texas named David Hartwig and uh, his lovely wife, Barbara, you, you may have run into somewhere at a horse show. She shows horses. Um, but David had this, this dog called Skidboot. He's been on Jay Leno's show. He was on mm-hmm. David Letterman. He's been on Oprah. He's been on, and he was, David could tell Skidboot to do anything he wanted to do. And, and I don't know if you've ever read uh, A Kinship with All Life. Have you ever read that book? I haven't, but I'm going to, I keep taking notes every time I get near you about things to to read. <laughs> it's one of the few books that, um, uh, that Tom, I think it's one of the few books that Tom Dorrance actually ever recommended. And, and basically in this book, it's called a kinship with all life, but the story is mostly about this guy and this dog and he doesn't train it to do anything, but he talks to it like it's, mm-hmm. it can understand him. And, and he has, there's an emotion behind what he says and, you know, he can get this dog to do anything. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I just, uh, Skidboot was, uh, sk- look Skidboot up on, on YouTube. Like yeah. the dog's amazing. I will uh, for so, sure. Yes. Yeah, so you had that background. You know, it's funny. I grew up on a farm in Australia and my father, you know, without any formal education, no clinics, no mentors, no whatever, he could get horses to do stuff. And I have I'm starting to figure out how we can, how we figured it out. But like back in the 
back in the day, like he could train a horse to do the Western riding. So if you guys are listening, don't know what the Western riding is. It's been able to do multiple flying lead changes on a loose rein, on a engaged tour. You know, it's it's hard to do. And I remember at, when I was at Pony Club, Dad did a uh, a demonstration of the Western riding one day there, and there was a lady standing there watching who lived in our area, and she was shortlisted for the Olympics in the dressage. Her name was uh, Nita McCauley, lovely old lady. I'm sorry, not old, you know, she was older at the time, so I always think of her as an old lady because I was a kid. But Dad did this Western riding thing, and, and so then he gets done, and he says, anybody got any questions? And uh, Nita said, I got a question. Can you do that again? You know, it was like <laughs> that was cool but she had this formal education in the mm-hmm. structure of training D- dad could just train horses and and you know i um i at at the time i had no idea how he did it you know mm-hmm. he, like he had no process he hadn't read any books or mm-hmm. i think he might have had i think he might have had hackamore Ransman by ed connell maybe that's it that's the only mm-hmm. like instructional book I can remember seeing in the house. So, so you had that, that sort of uh, a mum that's had that. And so you had that, that childhood that kind of gave you a bit of a background in that stuff. And you just said mm-hmm. you've kind of going back to that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of interesting for me. Um, you'll, you'll remember some of these pieces, you know, at, like when I get to the part where, so the bridalist riding, Mm-hmm. ends up being this thing that I'm, you know, kind of most known for at one point. And so it for me, my the the quick overview was, you know, grew up a little girl in Maine that loved horses. My mom and I would trail ride all the time. And you know, one day in high school, some uh, my math teacher when I'm a junior says to me, you know, he has an extra 10 minutes at the end of class and he's literally just, he's just going around the classroom saying like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I say, I don't know, I guess go to school for accounting or something. And he says, well, why is that? And I said, well, cause all I want to do is ride horses, but you can't go to school for that. And he's like, get up right now and go upstairs and look through the college books until you find one that offers horses. And I do a great like teenager eye roll and go upstairs to like prove him wrong And find out you can go to school for that. And that's how I ended up at the University of Finley. So I had this background of growing up with my mom and the horses and just kind of the love of it and the danger that was involved in not knowing enough, but the love of it and a lot of great experiences too. And then I went to Finley and the way that it worked out in my mind was it was like my mom had given me this foundation however we want to label it with kind of the understanding, the emotions and that kind of stuff. And then when I went to the university of Finley, they gave me what I could identify pretty quickly as the nuts and bolts. Like you move this shoulder, you move this hip, you're going to create a lead change. You do this, you do that. They step here, they step there, you know, how to apply these aids. And so I could feel the dance between the two, but not real clear. I could feel, and actually to me, it felt like a tug of war it felt like one was conflicting with the other. And, you know, without the way to verbalize it, you know, I was doing the best that I could. But basically in 2003, so I graduated in 97 and Jesse and I got married and we started like the traditional training business. And in 2003, 
at that point, I'd had all three boys, so mother of three small children, because they were born in um, 98, 99, and 2001. So in 2003, they're little kids, and I am crying every night. We have a house, we have a truck, we have a trailer, we have an indoor arena, we have a waiting list, and I am crying myself to sleep every single night. My husband is pretty sure I've had too many kids too quick. I'm having an emotional breakdown. <laughs> like, he's just like, what is wrong? Like, we have everything. And I kept saying, I hate this. I want, when I was in college, I worked at McDonald's. And I said, I would rather quit everything and own one horse that I love than to do this because I feel like I'm training robots. Because the math of the profession in the way that we were doing it... <laughs> Everybody stand up. <laughs> Give Stacey Westfall a round of applause right there. That's well, awesome. So the, the math of the equation of what we were doing, like we were training so many horses, you just felt like you had to get on and off and on and off and on and off. And so, but this is the most amazing thing because I was literally, I was like, I am, this is, I'm ready to be done. And that gives me goosebumps because when you are finally like right there, ready to be done, if you don't quite give up, you then, like crazy, full body goosebumps because I'm like reliving it. That's the year that I did my first bridalist ride in 2003 because I was like, anything goes. I mean, if I'm ready to quit all of it, if I'm ready to quit this horse training as a professional completely, then you know what? If I go out and make mistakes, doesn't really matter because I'm going to work, back to work at McDonald's anyway. So I'm just so done with this. And so... Um, at the time we were, you know, we're, and we're still young trainers trying to pay the bills. And so we were at the, we were at a horse show and I was showing the mare Can Can Lena that my husband mm -hmm. had bought and trained. Yeah. And then he had shown himself out of the limited open division. And I was still limited open eligible because I really didn't like showing. And so he was like, for the good of the horse, you need to show her cause she'll get more money on her and be more valuable as a broodmare. And I was like, you know, how to phrase that, didn't you? For the good of the horse, I need to do this. Fine. And so I went out and I was showing her. And I was showing, I remember I was in Painesville, Ohio at a show. I was like the last draw or very close to the end. So you knew what the scores were. Knew that my ability to score on this mare was in that range. So I'm doing all these things. I go in there and I show. Last maneuvers are the horseshoe of stops around the top, you know, up around the top. So I run down, there's three stops, and I run down first one, roll back, run down second one, roll back. She's right where you want her, and I take the reins, you know. So when I'm running down, I'm like walking down the reins a little bit, shortening. So when, when I say, whoa, there's a little bit of rain pressure, I say, whoa. We do the rollback. Right after the rollback, I go to shake the reins loose, like shake them to loosen them to right. show that she is staying with me and I'm not having to hold on to her, and I throw the right rein on the ground. It slips out of my fingers. And I, and the right rein is now dragging on the ground and I'm trying to run the entire rule book. Cause I'd gone to the judges seminar when I was in school, I'm trying to run the whole rule book through my mind. And I put my left hand behind my back. I'm still holding the left rein with my, you know, the one rein is still in my right hand. I'm trying to not touch the neck. I'm trying to not touch with the second hand. I'm trying not to get disqualified while I'm loping up around. I reach down, grab the rein that's dragging on the ground about about at the top, as I'm coming around the top of the horseshoe, I managed to finally fish it out of the air. 
and I run down to my last stop and my, my left rein is crazy draped loose. My right rein is like direct. She slides, stops. I'm just like, yes. And I have no idea that this entire time the judge has been standing up screaming stop because it's really not say, safe. <laughs> it's really not safe to be doing any of this. And they apparently I'm not the only one that thinks like this because they actually changed the rules between the yeah. time that I'd gone till the time that this happened that you're immediately disqualified. But right. it used in, to not. It used, yeah, now, <laughs> yeah. Now it's now it's if the rain touches the ground while the horse is in motion. I think the rule Done. says. Yep. Yeah. And I had gone to the school before they changed that rule before mm. enough of us like because it's a terrible idea. Don't get me wrong. Like in a logical frame of mind, which I was not, I like I would wouldn't have done it. But the amazing thing was I got disqualified. I went up and sat in the stands. I'm beating myself up. How could you do this? The owners paid the money. You've trained the horse. The horse deserves this. You, what did you do? Why did you do this? How could you let this happen? I'm just beating myself up. And people are walking by and they're like, that was amazing. You're like laying on her neck and you've got a hand behind your back and you're like fishing the rain up and she never lost a stride and she still nailed the stop and your reins are... So after like two hours of a combination of beating myself up and the and everybody being like, that was freaky amazing, I went home and was like, you know, when I was a freshman in, before, but when I went to see Finley, I had seen raining for the first time. The year that I, when I was a senior in high school was the first time I'd ever seen a raining horse. And when I flew out to see Finley and then Finley took us to the freestyle raining when I was a freshman. And I was like, someday I want to ride in that and I want to do it bridalist. And so this was literally 10 years later. 10 years later, I am in the stands and I'm thinking, you know, since I've already decided to throw it all out there, like, you know, I could go home and figure this out. And I went home and tied the reins up real loose and started messing around and figured out how to create the entire bridalist. The first time I think I ever saw you was at the Raining Futurity when you did the freestyle and you you were riding uh, Can Can Lena and you did the Ghost Riders in the Sky one. Yep, that was about three months after the drop rain thing. Mm. Um, yeah, that was, I think my wife might have been in the same freestyle back there. But yeah, that was the first time I, I'd seen you. And then I don't know how long after that you have the, you have the, you know, the white dress. Yeah, a couple of years later, yep. Incident. So let's let's talk about that because that's that is that's a big part of what I want to talk to you about. So for you guys who don't know, Stacy did a bridalless bareback bridalless freestyle at was that the Congress, wasn't it? I did it twice. I the, did it at I mean, the, the Tulsa but, Rainy Futurity and then the Congress, yep. But the Congress was the video that went Yes. Fire it wasn't, yeah. So yes. so Stacy did a bareback bridalless uh freestyle in a white dress and it goes viral you probably would say wouldn't you Mm -hmm. yep it was early days of viral but yes it kept crashing everything um you from that you end up on the ellen DeGeneres show is that right Mm -hmm. yep tell us about well, let's let's talk about the whole the whole thing from the beginning because I mean this is an amazing story. Ooh, where does it begin? Um, basically, you know, I did that two thousand three <clears throat> ride with Can Can Lena that you saw out there, the Ghost Riders in the Sky, and 
And then people were immediately saying, how are you going to top that? And that wasn't in my mind, like topping it wasn't really a thing. Cause if you think where I was coming from, it was more just like, I have got to have fun and enjoy these horses. And this has to be an extension of who I am versus, you know, just training robots and, and I just can't do this. And so there needed to be some expression of, of that. And so at the time when I started riding Roxy, so, um, I started her as a two-year-old and then I still, I really didn't like showing that much. And my husband took her and showed her in the futurities. And when he was done showing her in futurities and things, then I started riding her again as both a freestyle horse and, you know, in regular competition. And, but she was so much smoother. She was so much smoother to slide. I did some bareback bridalists on the can can lena mare, but she was, had pony stride and in the stops, it was was just so, I was like, I'm going to get hurt. Like <laughs> it hurts. It it almost hurts in a saddle, let alone, you know, right. bareback. But yeah, so the, the bareback bridalist was just kind of, I started looking at it more like personal challenges for me. And what's the craziest thing, which you'll remember, like, so in 2006, when I did that, when I did that bridalist ride into the bareback bridalist ride in 2006, going viral wasn't a thing. It didn't even go viral until 2008. So it went viral two years after it was done to say that I'd never expected to have any of that happen was totally true. Like I thought the people in the stands were going to experience what I experienced. And then it was going to be just like any other horse show. I mean, yeah, there's a video that's out there. That's, there was no, there was no, you know, going viral, kind of thing. And so it was two years later. So it was on a big delay by the time that really hit, which was probably a blessing because I was already going through quite a lot of emotional things that year in 2006. I won road to the horse in the spring. And then, um, then I was prepping for what I was going to do at the Congress. And then my dad died and I'm showing the horse and I'm dedicating. And, and I was, it just, I told Jesse, he was going to have to take me to the doctors after Congress because I probably had some kind of like Lyme's disease or something because every joint in my body hurt I was just like I think I was just processing so much and riding bareback and bridalist is really physical <laughs> so yeah. the combination of all of it I was just like oh my gosh it just so it was a blessing that it didn't go viral for two more years so I've got I've got some questions about this um so what I really would like to know is because I think you're a little bit like me to where, you know, you kind of ended up being a, a unplanned public figure and you way more than me, but I've experienced a bit, but, but th this was not my plan. And it sounds like being, you know, what my question is, how do you go from being Stacy Westfall to Stacy Westfall? And how does that, how has that affected you? Cause I remember it, I was at a, uh, you went to Equitana in Australia, which is a big horse expo there in, Maybe 2012, mm -hmm. maybe 2010, 12, maybe. And um, I have never seen, I have since, I saw it in Holland once last year, two years ago. I've never seen at a horse expo that many people lined up to get someone's autograph. Just so excited to get a piece of it. Two years ago in Holland at a horse expo there, I saw there's a, a young Australian dressage rider that's like a Instagram influencer. And he had more people than you. They're all about 13 years old, but 
So there was someone who topped the thing. Yeah, but that was the thing at the time. Like, wow, look at all these people. And mm-hmm. you and Jesse, you're in the, in the booth there and you got your kids and you got your, you know, your thing of DVDs and like people are buying stuff and you're signing. But they all just wanted to get a piece of that. How, how's, how is that going from, you know, raised in Maine, living in rural Ohio, go to horse shows to that? And then we'll go on to the Ellen DeGeneres show after that and anything else that is a part of that. But that's... Mm-hmm. That's quite the, you know, it's not like you grow up and you're like, you know what, I want to be a famous actor, actress, mm-hmm. and I, people will know who I am. It's not, that it wasn't your, Mm-mm. that wasn't your plan. So do you want to talk a bit about that whole journey? Yeah, that was shocking. That was, it was shocking. Um, the first time that it really happened was, that road to the horse was the first time that I really had that like whoosh that like what is happening moment because so many people were lined up to ask questions and the short story is you know at first it was it was just really overwhelming because especially not expecting it like you said I mean I think if you set out the career goal to be that there would be a prepping process that would happen with it versus that kind of just boom there it is and you weren't expecting it the way that it worked for me was i mean the blessing of it was that everybody who wanted to talk to me loves horses so i just had to remember to take a breath and talk about horses and that's easy for me to do you know, it's not about becoming something I'm not, although you can easily feel the temptation. And that for me, when I was doing Facebook much later, like in, um, you know, in like 2000, you know, I started, I blogged every day and I think I started that in 2013 to 14. And so, but by the time, at one point I'd been on Facebook, like, and I was doing stuff every single day for several years and near the end of it, like, so say around, I don't remember when, but just pick like 2015 or 16. So a couple of years into doing it every day, I could feel a stronger and stronger pull to please the, the Facebook numbers to post whatever would make, whatever would, would make Facebook happy. So that that feeling, which I think a lot of people can identify with, that is a version of what I could feel early on, like that temptation to be something you're not. But I was so blessed to be in the horse world and live face-to-face with people, which made it easier to feel the cycle of like, I'm just me explaining what's going on with horses. And I'm me, and it doesn't even mean I have all the answers. It just means I've got lots of ideas, and I'm going to share my ideas with you and then you're going to have ideas because of my ideas and 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 we're going to kind of go on but it was that ability to recognize that pull away from the more authentic me the same thing i then experienced it's not like you experience it once well at least not for me it hasn't been something i experienced once and then never again like i i remember experiencing that pull early on and then i i remember like the the most heightened one was after i'd been you know, posting daily on Facebook for years and the metrics were changing and they were getting more, you were getting more and more feedback as to like what was quote unquote working or not. And at one point I was like, okay, this is turning it like, like I can, I can post videos of something cute and fuzzy, but what do I want to do? I want to educate people. 
so if this like if it's if it's if it's coming from an educational standpoint that's what i want to stand for and so again it's just this like reevaluating who you are which is i think a never-ending challenge because you're always growing and learning and changing hopefully which means that you're constantly reevaluating yourself always <laughs> so i'm not quite sure if that nailed the answer but yeah i think the um because i've experienced this uh Growing while being under the spotlight, you know, you know, like having people being aware of your your growth. I, I don't know if it's challenging for me. I don't know if it's it's challenge, but it's you know, it's something not everybody gets to experience. You know, I went to a um, there was a three day men what was called men's emotional resilience retreat last year and. Uh, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but what the part of the the weekend was based on a book called King Warrior Love a Magician, and it's like the four archetypes sort of thing. And every one of those archetypes has a a shadow side. Um, and the king, so the if the king he does things for the good of all, but the shadow side of that is the prince who does things for external validation. And for me, what you were just talking about right there, for me, that's that's kind of the 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 balancing act in this. Like when I these days, when I go to do something, I, I first, you know, if I go to post something or whatever, I first have to stop and think, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Am I doing this for my purpose, which is I, which is, and I don't think my purpose is really about horses. It's helping people with their horses and giving them some insight into some other stuff. Um, is it for that? Or is it because I'm going to get a certain number of shares, likes, mm-hmm. comments, whatever? And, and you know, the, and that's what I was asking you before about how do you go from being Stacey Westfall in rural Ohio horse trainer to Stacey Westfall because no one prepares you for this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's, there's no, you can't take a course on how to, how to handle that sort of thing and how to handle your internal dialogue about what's going on, you know, like the whole king versus prince energy. So it's, uh, and, I, and I think I was probably having that conversation inside to and some degree without even knowing I was doing it. But when I went to this, this, this retreat thing and, and they talked about that and it's, it's like gave it a name, mm-hmm. you know, it gave it a, it gave it a name. So, yeah, I think about that all the time. So do you, do you, is that what you were talking about before? You kind of struggle with, the re, you know, well, you've had to think about the reason you're doing it. Am I doing it for the right reasons or am I doing it for the wrong reasons? Yeah, so I think when the, well, when the, whatever you want to label it, the fame or the popularity or whatever hit, I've definitely felt unprepared because I didn't expect it and it wasn't something I was aiming for. And, but I, I do love sharing like what I remember is being a little girl in Maine who loved horses, who wanted to know everything about them. And that was the place that I chose to operate from. So when I looked at a a person coming up to my booth, when I looked at, it didn't matter what age the, the person was. So a woman walks up to the booth and she's, you know, 56 years old and she's asking me a question about her horse. I can still hear pieces of me 
at some earlier part of my life when all I wanted to know was, you know, at the end of it, I, I like, it was, it was kind of interesting. Cause one of the, one of the, one of the questions when, when, when we were prepping for this, one of the questions that you'd asked was something about like, what did, what did you want to be when you were a little kid? And I was like a horse, like literally, <laughs> I just wanted to be a horse. I mean, I remember like crying when I was probably around the age of like six or seven or whenever that idea of reason is when I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to become a horse. I canter around on my four legs. I want to be a horse. I remember being mad about the fact that I couldn't become a horse. And so the next best thing was to like, just fall in love with them head over heels. And so when I, when, so I know the comfortable energy that I have in my body. I know my grounded energy when I'm with a horse. I've known that energy for as long from the years when my mom would be like, my, you know, we would set up, we'd take little soda pop cans and put a stick across them. And that was my big jump on my pony. You know, and I'd go, I'd go cantering up there bareback because I didn't have an English saddle and the Western saddle seemed like a bad idea. And I'd go to jump it and she'd just stop and eat grass and I'd fall off her neck and I'd be crying. She hates me and this is all terrible and I don't even want a pony anymore. And my mom would be, well, why do you think she did it? And I'm like, cause she hates me. And, you know, and she'd be like, well, where's my horse and where's the barn? And do you think she wants the grass? And, you know, she'd go through all these different things. And I just remember when I couldn't, when I realized I couldn't be a horse and then I started to realize I really could communicate. I was just totally in all in fascinated. People will ask in interviews, they'll say, what could you do if you couldn't do horses? I'm like, I don't understand the question. They're like, well, what if you, what if you, what if you couldn't ride anymore? I'm like, I would write, I would talk, I would, you know, what, what made me not able to ride? Like explain exactly what level of of something has happened to me where I can't be because the only thing I can picture is like I'm completely disabled to the part where I can't speak and then I don't know how to answer that question so why are we even having this conversation the answer is yes horses are going to be in my life because my sanity comes from the lessons that I've learned in the barn it is where I'm the most balanced and when I feel myself in the public eye or shifting I, I just have to go back and thankfully for me most of the time that means I'm if I'm in the public eye, I probably have a horse like within reach. <laughs> and that, that is how I can reground myself is just drop back into that. And I think that goes back to that, um, at the beginning when we were talking about the dogs and you were talking about skid boot and that ability to me, what I do well with horses and what makes horses do well with me is that ability to drop fully into who I am and feel and experience what's right there. And that's, we'll just label it emotions. So I have, an, I have emotions that I allow up and down. That's what the dog, when my mom is giving the dog, when, the, when she's like, you know, go get the newspaper or put away the Kong or whatever it is that she's saying to the dog, she's got all those nonverbals that are speaking that are, I would describe it like this. It's like playing the game warmer, colder. You know, when you were a kid, it's like, it's like warmer, warmer, colder, colder. And when I let my emotions go up and down like that in this, we'll just call it in a healthy range, because when, when I let them go up and down like that, the horses are like, oh, well, I can totally read that. That's like any day in the herd. The dog is like, oh, totally got that. And so But that also means that me, I got to totally get that. I've got to be aware, like you said when I go to post something, 
where's this coming from? Yeah. Um, you just touched on a couple of things. Then one of them was you said that, uh, what, you know, like, uh, what level of incapacitation would I have to have to not be around horses? And I thought about that. So when your video went viral, one of the versions of the, the video <laughs> that went viral was people saying that, that she's a blind you were blind and deaf, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were, blind and deaf? I have several. It, it grew. It grew as it, as it went. Yeah. You know, people would share the video and then they would say, oh, you've got to watch this. This lady's blind and deaf and has polio. Or, you know? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Yep. I think at one point I trained the horse in 30 days and uh, there were all kinds of different versions of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's that's pretty funny so what you were just talking about then with the whole emotions thing so i i've talked about this a lot in the podcast i'm not sure if you're aware of it but in the last probably four years i've become aware of the fact that i have been um pretty much in a state of shutdown i'd say most of my life um and so I've had no internal energy, none whatsoever. And so when you're training horses for the public, it's probably a really good way to be because you almost teach them don't pay attention to energy, mm-hmm. just to pay attention to cues, pay attention to the, the physical things. And then you can hand them over to somebody who has some weird energy going on, nervous or scared or whatever, and they can they kind of learn to just shut it out because there is no energy involved with it. And, you know, in the past few years I've been working on getting that stuff to work. And where was I going with this? (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, one of my old YouTube videos, it was called Talking to Your Horse. And in that YouTube video I go, don't talk to your horse because your horse doesn't listen. Everybody I've ever seen who talks to their horse, thinks their horse, their horse listens to them, it doesn't. And I tell a, a story about a lady at a clinic one time when I was saying, don't talk to your horse, your horse doesn't listen. This lady, she was on her Arabian mare and she goes, my horse listens when I talk. I'm like, really? What can you tell your horse to do? She goes, oh, walk, trot, canter, stop, back up. I said, well, seeing you're sitting right here, let's see you verbally ask your horse to back up and let's see what happens. And so the lady shortens the reins, pulls on the reins, rocks her weight back in the saddle and rocks backwards and forwards and says, back, back, back. And you know what? Miracle of miracles, the horse does take a couple of steps backwards. And I said, well, that's, that's kind of cool. But seeing your horse listens to what you say, let's put the reins on your horse's neck and see if it works. And she goes, okay. And then she rocks her weight real back in the saddle really, really hard and goes back, back, back. And eventually her horse does take a step backwards. I'm like, well, that's, that's amazing. But because your horse listens to your voice, you said your horse listens to your voice, you didn't say your horse listens to your seat, can you fold your arms, close your eyes and sit perfectly still and ask your horse to back up? And she looks at me and she goes, Sure. <laughs> and she folds her she folds her arms, closes her eyes, sits perfectly still, and she goes back, 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 back. And then she slaps the mare on the neck and she goes, Oh, Celeste, why aren't you backing? 
And I tell that story in this video is that most people who think their horse is listening to their voice are actually listening to something else. You happen to use your voice at the same time. And I said, I'm not saying you cannot teach a horse to operate off voice cues. And then I, I'm riding a young horse at the time who's going to be a reiner. And I said, let me show you the first step. Like we teach them to stop off the word. Well, let me show you the, the first step in doing that. So I said, I'm going to walk down the fence here and I'm going to say, whoa. And then I'm just going to tip him into the fence and go the other way. And I'm going to repeat this over and over and I do it over and over. And then at some point in time, I walk along and I say, well, and he stops anticipating the turn into the fence. And I also said in that video, you know, I don't think you should talk to your horse because I, the very best horsemen I've ever seen are silent. They don't talk to their horses. And so for the longest time, and, and the people, it seemed to be the people that talked to their horses most had the most out of control horses. So the way I'm looking at it is, you know, Tom Dorrance doesn't talk to his horse and the people who are having the worst horses do so by a process of elimination. Let's not talk to your horse. But these days I talk to them all the time. Mm-hmm. Because it's not natural for that energy to come out of me. And so in order for that energy to come out of me, I have to go, hey, good morning. How are you going? Are you having a good day? Mm-hmm. And it's not what I'm saying, but I feel like I don't project that, hey, how's it going? Having a good day type energy unless I say it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to, but for me, I need to because I'm not practiced in that. I'm, you know. mm-hmm. That was well, well articulated. That was very well well described because yeah I, I I didn't know exactly where you were going with it but that is that is well described because I think it helps that my mom worked in a school system with k through three so she worked with young kids and a lot of times when you're around young children a lot you get big with your body you're verbal there's ups and downs in your voice I mean you think about people talking naturally to little kids most of the time they're very up and down with their voice. How are you doing? What are you, what? Up, there's ups and downs. And so I think that also played into, into that, that because I know a lot of times when I'm teaching a clinic or something, if I see that somebody's kind of stuck like that, a lot of times I'll get silly big. Like I'll just exaggerate it. I'll be like, I'll say like, what do you think your horse is going to do if we run up to it and like run like you were a little kid and this is the first horse you've been able to see and you just pulled away from your mom and you're like running and you're like horsey and you like throw yourself on their neck like and I'll act it out and you know and it's like and they'll watch me do something like overblown and silly and then they feel a little more open with their own body and their expressions but I think you're totally onto it because I I also remember a similar stage where Actually, I think I was even told that professionals don't talk to their horses, <laughs> like, you know, because I went through years of schooling and different things. And so you had a lot of people's opinions. And yeah, that would be definitely a common opinion that professionals don't talk to them and that, you know, that you're, but I talk, I trail ride and I think, oh my gosh, people must think I'm crazy. <laughs> so, like I talk, I, I go out in the morning. I'm like, good morning, everybody. And like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of times I don't talk. But there's plenty of times that I that I do for exactly, exactly the reason that you articulated is that especially if I feel like I need to bring something out in my body, that then then that's what I'll do. You know, call me the story I'm about to kind of tell you right now, call me crazy, but yeah, just call me crazy. 
Uh, we just, Robin and I just went to Arizona for three weeks. We went down, went to the Sun Circuit to school, then spent a week ride, trail riding in the desert, and then we're there for the Cactus Running Classic. And during our rides in the desert, we uh, didn't see any animals. And the last day I was riding, the last day we rode in the desert, I'm riding along and have you ever seen like a bush or a tree to where there is no breeze blowing, but there'll be one part of that bush <laughs> that's moving like there's a breeze blowing. So I'm riding along and I'm riding along through all this, you know, cactus and sagebrush and stuff. The cactus don't move, but there's these scrubby bushes there. And I noticed one of them, part of it was waving and the rest of it wasn't. And I just, call me crazy here, but I just kind of imagined that the bush was waving to me. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I'm like, hey, how's it going, Mr. Bush? So I'm riding along talking mm-hmm. to the bushes. Yeah. And I don't know if it's related, but then I start to notice, and maybe I'm just more present, but then I start to notice these little black birds that have been around all week, but when I watch them, they'll be in a tree in front of us, and as we approach it, they fly away. But they don't fly away and flee. They fly a little bit further along the trail and sit in another tree. And these birds would just stay in front of us. Like they've got 360 degrees they can fly off in, and they're just staying in front of us. And then after, oh, it might be five or six different leapfrogs from one tree to another and then they'll fly off. But then another one comes along and I'm noticing this stuff and I'm, ha- I'm talking to the birds. Mm-hmm. A little while later we're riding along and right there, not very far from us, is a buck. Mm-hmm. Big buck, horns, eating the grass. And he sees us and he pronks off and I'm like, that was cool. I got to see that. I had been out here a week and haven't seen that. But I wasn't talking to the birds in the bushes. All week either. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the property we bought here in Ohio is because it backs up to a state park. So we mm. have 98 miles of horse trails out back wow. behind us. So we were really close to thinking about moving to Colorado or Arizona because of the amount of public land that you can ride on. And then this property came up for sale. And so I go out back and ride in the park every day that it's safe enough. (laughs) So that's my goal is to be out there. So I was out there yesterday and I'm riding a greener, more immature horse. And it was so fun just listening to you describe what you were doing in the desert, because I was thinking you're describing my childhood. That was every trail ride with my mom. You know, that was the, that was the making up the stories, but it, it is a very, it is a very good way to bring yourself into a very present awareness and drop everything else. If you are noticing all the little things and that, cause I'll go out and people will say you ride cause there's, you know, there's a, um, there's a three mile loop and a five mile loop and a seven mile loop that are the closest ones to me. And then, then you, it, then it gets a little bit more committed to go further than that. So I ride a lot of the same loops over and over again. And people are like, aren't you bored? I'm like, no, it's never the same. Like, I'm, it's never the same between me and the horse and the day and the animals and the, and the whatever's going on and making sure I love it that I drop out of cell phone service. Like I drop, once I go down over the hill, you're just gone. And there's, I'll send a text and be like, if I'm not back in two hours, this is the trail I left on. (laughs) And, uh, and so, but it is exactly what you just described. It is being present and aware. And it's, what my mom taught me back in the beginning, it's being, it's going along. So the other day 
I'm riding down the trail and I know there's a campsite straight ahead. And I'm riding this young horse that I tend to want to think doesn't make the best decisions. Pay attention to that phrasing. I tend to want to think he doesn't make the best decisions. Straight ahead of me, there's a big campsite. There, there's three or four people. They're stringing up, you know, um, they've got a high line type thing for the whole, like the man-made, the, t- the tent that's not really a tent in there. And, they're, and they're, they're making a fire and they've got all this stuff going on and he's not looking at it at all. And I'm going, um, Presto, could you please focus straight ahead for just a minute so that you're not surprised by the fact there's a major setup of, you know, campers up here, but he's looking over to the left and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like how ADD can this horse be? Yes, this is going on in my mind. And so, and then, so I, so I ride him up a little bit further. I even manually turn his head once and he, and he flicks and he's like, oh, oh, look at the campfire. And I'm like, well, this is a good reaction to have. Cause sometimes in the past when you've first seen something, you've done something bigger than that. I'm not sure why you're obsessed with watching the water today. You've seen the water hundred other times, but anyway, so we walk further up and my focus is purely on the camp and the potential problems. Is a dog going to come running out? What's going to happen? Like how many (laughs) people, I think people think Stacy Westfall going for a trail ride, totally peaceful. There's a piece of me that is like also aware of everything that could go wrong. Like if he rolls back, I remember, you know, these things that could be whatever. Because I'm there's that little piece of me that's still going on there with him, and I'm aware of it. I'm not fighting it. I'm not freaked out or beating myself up on it, but it's there. But we go down, and I'm still like, I've now I've kind of let go of the idea that he was looking at the river. We go into the river, we go to cross it. You know what comes from our left hand side, which is where the river was? Two Arabian horses that are riding up the trail that he was clearly pointing at when he had been looking off to the left. And if it had been any of my other horses that I give more credit to, I would have, I love riding on the trail and being like, oh, like they'll flick an ear and I'll be like, there's a deer laying down over there that's decided not to move. I love reading them. But because I choose or chose to discredit his ability to whatever, I, I blocked my experience of the trail that he was trying to share with me just by simply looking in a more intent way over to that side. So every day is different for me out there. It's amazing. That was beautiful. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you shared that because, yeah, people tend to think Stacey Westfall, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, so something else I want to get into before we get too much further along is, you, you know, because of the whole viral, the viral thing that, you know, the bareback bridalist white dress deaf, blind, mute, whatever you were, <laughs> freestyle, you were, invi- you were uh, invited out to Los Angeles on the Ellen DeGeneres show and you actually got to put Ellen on a horse. Can you, mm-hmm. can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, that was uh, quite the shock. It, I think the backstory is just a tiny bit funny because of especially, you know, everybody knowing more now like with the internet and stuff. So anyway, long story short, 2008, I redid my website. And I went out to the equine affair in California. And so I was out at the equine affair. This new website had just launched. Lady that was working for me at the time calls me while I'm out there. And she's like, website's down, totally crashed, won't open up. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this guy's supposed to be like really good. He's out of Columbus. He does all this stuff. 
She's like, I don't know, but we're phones, you know, ringing off the hook, blah, blah, blah. I call him and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I have no idea. And so he, this is 2008. I did the ride in 2006, launched the website. And this is just like a week after. And so, uh, he now keep in mind, there's no YouTube. YouTube wasn't the thing, like whether it existed or not, it was definitely not mainstream in, in, in 2008. So he had put my bareback bridalist ride on the website, but it, it ran off from a server, you know, that was attached to my website. And so I call him or, and tell him what's going on. And he says, I have no idea. Let me take a look at it. And so I get back and he, and I'm, I'm, and you know, in the process of long story short, I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, your website's crashed from traffic. I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, you have, you had, you know, you had 200,000 people try to visit your site yesterday. I'm like, is that a lot? I don't know what you're saying. Like, <laughs> I know nothing. And, and, I'm, and he's like, yes, that's a lot. And I was like, okay, well, he's like, well, we need to shut off the video. And I said, I don't know a lot about this, but it seems like if they're coming for the video and that's a lot, it seems like shutting off the video is a terrible idea. And he's like, well, it, we, there's, we didn't build it on the right platform to do this. Like we had no idea. And I was like, well, like, you, you do what you do. I don't know. But so he's struggling to keep it up. And like, now he's, now we're having like daily conversations. He's like 500,000 people hit your website today. He's like, this, he's like, these numbers are insanely large. And I'm just like, okay, well, this was the version of it going viral, but it was so frustrating to people that it was crashing that somebody somewhere, somehow, you know, people started pulling it down, ripping it, you know, doing whatever screen recording or however it happened. And it started going out there through emails. And then if you were tracking on the backside, you could see wherever the emails were going because you could see the traffic pattern on the globe around the world watching the analytics. It was crazy, but it was a crash course in the internet. We'll hear about, let's say, a week after I get home, in one day, George Strait and Ellen DeGeneres' teams both call the same day. Like, really? What is happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm I'm over here like I don't even know what numbers are big or small, although I am very aware that DVD sales are going through the roof. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening? And and you know, and this thankfully the the guy who did the website was actually really good at doing websites, thankfully, but he just we were all unprepared for, you know, who could have predicted that. And so the millions of views that happened before that ever went on, and then the first time that I when I finally could put it on YouTube, I put it on YouTube, it would hit a million and then be um, content taken down. It'd be taken down because at the time you couldn't associate it with the music rights to the, the person or whatever. So it would roll up to a million and, and then YouTube would take it down and we'd put it back up and we'd say, we don't own the content, blah, blah, blah. It'd roll up to a million and get taken down. And that just happened like on repeat. And, and so, but yeah, so the same day they both call. And it was, and they wanted, they wanted me for the same day. So there was no, like, it was like, you had to pick. <laughs> what did, what did George Strait want to do? It's not like he has a TV show or something. No, but he does, uh, you know, he's into the horses and he puts on events and he had an event scheduled and uh, okay, wanted okay, yeah. as an entertainer, kind of like showing up, wanted me to come as an entertainer. And so, you know, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was talking about skid boot before, uh, Barbara, the wife, was telling me a story one time to where the phone rings one night. David's in the bath. The phone rings and this guy says, hey, can I talk to David? And she's like, sure. She goes in the bath and the bathroom and, and hands David the phone. So he's sitting in the bath talking to this guy on the phone. And she said she just sits on the toilet and she's listening to the conversation. This guy 
sounds like they're talking about dogs or something rather anyway. David hangs up and looks at her and goes, that was George Strait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so ended up, you know, going to, going out to Ellen. Well, there was a, they wanted, they wanted us right now. And, you know, with horses and I'm in Ohio and we're trying to go to California and I was booked to be at the Nebraska Horse Expo in like a week and a half. And so we said, you know, I know you want us like right now, but the best we can do is go to the Nebraska Horse Show uh, Expo and then go from Nebraska and make the rest of the trip out there. And so they agreed to that. And so it was, it was, it was amazing. And I, like, there was no contact at all with Ellen. Like I wasn't allowed to talk to Ellen before the camera was rolling. So when she comes walking into the LA Equestrian Center and we meet on camera, that is the first time we've ever met. And it was really interesting because the whole time away on the way, as, as we were ramping up to this, I kept saying, I'd really like her to ride my horse. And they were like, well, we never know what's going to happen. Like Ellen just rolls with it live and whatever happens, happens. And I'm like, well, I really want, I really would, I mean, I would love it if she would get on, but you know, and so, so this kept going on and on. So in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, well, I don't know whether or not she'll get on, but I probably should prepare for it. And as you know, with a reining horse, like the pros and cons of it, like if you're going to put somebody on a reining horse, the easiest maneuver to really wow them with is a spin. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I, if I, if she does agree to get on the horse, the spin is the one thing that I would love to focus on. So then my mind, what's the worst case scenario in a spin? Well, the worst case scenario in a spin is that they keep going faster and faster and can't stop <laughs> that. That does not go well with a first time spinning person. So so I started, so I'm like, okay, so now I've got the problem. Now I've got, now I need a solution. So I said, well, the, the solution I can come up with is I'm going to make her autopilot. So she already stops when I say, whoa, when I'm riding her, but I'm aware that my body language, even if I try not to do anything else, I'm also aware that there are other things happening. So I tuned it up with me. And then I started putting every person that came on the property that would get on the back of a horse. <laughs> and I started with people that could ride and could ride fairly well. And I'd be like, okay, here's the deal. You're going to get on. You're going to ask her to spin, sit there like you don't know anything. And then I'm going to say, whoa. And if she doesn't stop, when I say, whoa, you stop her. And, and so I did this with like, say, I did this with a few people that were like, you know, friends that rode but they obviously felt different. And then I just kept moving it until I could finally put like anybody on. And it could be like, I can be any, you can't even, I've got auto. She is just like, I hear, whoa, I'm done. And, and so that was solid. And so it's actually really funny because on the video clip that's on, on, um, the, on the internet, you can see when she spins her the first time in Ellen's body, there's kind of that question and that hesitation. She asked her to spin and it turns it should, and Roxy does it, but she does it like a horsemanship pivot, like very step step, 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 because there's that hesit hesitation in Ellen's body. And then she stops and she goes, I want to do that again. And I mean, like you could just, you can even hear it in her voice. She's like, I want to do that again. And you can feel that she's more all in. And that's the one where she moves her hand and Roxy goes, oh, and it's like one, two. And then Ellen says, whoa, you know, and I say, whoa. And so it's like, it <laughs> and she stops and I'm like, yes, did not kill the TV personality this is like this is a total win like, 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 so the most nerve-wracking was though we recorded at the la equestrian center the first day and then i had to walk onto stage the next day the like i i know what it kind of feels like to max out my nerves because i've done it 
quite a few times in my life and I was so sick. Like the, I, I, I like my, my, the thought that I was aware I was not useful, but I was also fighting to shake was I'm going to fall flat on my face. I'm going to walk down the step. I'm going to trip and like fall flat on my face or something. Like, can I even, can, my goal is to make it to the chair upright on my own two feet. <laughs> like, and so I was like, Oh, this is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and how is that experience like actually being on the show, not just the, the doing the thing with Ellen at the LA question center, but actually, you know, being in the, what do they call it? The room, the, the, yeah. the room out the, the you know, it was really, they, they were so, it was, it was, it was amazing. And it, and thankfully at this point, you know, this is now 2008 and I'd had my major, you know, I'd had my major, um, Congress disaster in 2003. We didn't talk about that, but 2003, um, I showed at the Congress after I dropped the rain and decided to do bridalist, I showed at the Congress before the reigning fraternity. And I went in to do the same exact, the plan was to do exactly the same ride that you saw at the reigning fraternity, but in October at the Congress. And I went in there and I was sickly nervous. Like same thing I'm describing, like right before I go on to Ellen, I was so, so just sick and nervous in hindsight. Now I realized what the pressure was that I was putting on myself. And it was actually very similar to the pressure I talked about when I dropped the rain and I sat in the stands and beat myself up for a couple hours, you know, and I was like, you know, why did you ever think you could do this? Who do you think you are? All those self-doubt kind of things. So, but they were, they were kind of like, if you take that dial and you just take the, I love the old fashioned dials, like on my, on my monitor, on my, on my um, mixing board for my podcasting stuff. And you can just twist that knob. I was like all the way at a 10 my mom was there at the Congress and she was like, you need to eat. And I'm like, there is no point. I will throw it up. I can barely keep down water. And, and so it's no wonder that like, so the, for me to do that first bridalist ride, I had gone to paid warmups, which is basically like, if you don't know what that is, it's like when you go to a raining show and you go pay to enter a class, well, you go to go in and pretend you're in a class so you can school your horse and find out whatever problems might be happening that the horse is anticipating. I had done all of this bridalus. So I had tons of evidence that this could work. I was so sick. When I was in the warm up pen to go in for the Congress freestyle bridalus, I was warming up bridalus. When I started, when they called, when, the, when Jesse was like, you need to come up into the waiting area because you're, you're on deck. I was walking up and people were running from the side going, she's really going to do it. Come on, follow her. She's really going to do it. Like this is the energy following. And I'm just, it's so funny. Like my stomach's getting upset right now. Cause I'm like really putting myself back in the moment. It will make me feel like I'm like, I need water. <laughs> I can't swallow. And so I'm walking up there and I was so nervous that when I went in, it started out the way I wanted to. But when I I circled and I stopped in the middle and I was so tense in my body and that mare was so tuned in. And like you said, you know, when you said it earlier that maybe it's a blessing when they are not aware of you, well, this mare and I, we, she was aware of me, but I wasn't me. I was having an out of body experience. (laughs) So she was like, and I'm completely alone in the middle and her legs are stiff. I think this is a rollback. Because typically if I stop, it's either I stop and relax and that's going to be settle 
or I stop and I kind of hold tension in my body and then I cue and then that's the rollback. So she doesn't release the tension in her body. Well, I was nothing but a ball of tension. And so I'm stop in the middle and she rolls back. And from then on, in reality, it was probably three and a half minutes. For me, it was like three and a half seconds. And I just started trying to randomly like, I like it was all just gone. And so I ended up not doing the required lead change because I had been going to the left and now I'm going to the right in my mind. I've somehow I've gone from left to right, which, you know, so long story short, that total crash failure there was for me, the, that was the, for me, that was the most intense convergence of all of these things. And true to myself, I went home and took the VHS tape from back in the day and put it in the TV and watched it over and over and just beat myself up. And it was, it, my husband watched me do this for a couple of weeks. And then he was like, he, he's like stepping over me. Cause I'm literally sitting on the floor in the bedroom, like watching <laughs> like, and I'm like replaying it. And he's, and he steps over one day and he's like, have you ever considered going to the reigning maturity and doing the freestyle there? And if looks could kill, like, I don't even know what gave him enough <laughs> courage to say this, but, but if looks could kill, I'm like, were you at the Congress? What makes you think I could do the reigning futurity? I've never even shown at the reigning futurity. And so he, um, yeah, so I ended up, you know, thinking about it for a few days and thought, well, how much worse can it get? I mean, like, we're, we're already here. And so maybe there's something else. And so, so the shift in me about releasing the outcome and realizing how much I'd been beating myself up that's the shift I had to make. That's the shift that enabled me to go from that total failure to the reigning futurity and be able to be, I don't know if you remember, but they actually did the million dollar rider introductions right after the freestyle. So I was the very last ride and I'm coming out and Bill Horn is standing in the alleyway and he says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And my husband is like, do you know what he just said? <laughs> He's like shaking me. He's like... And yeah, for you guys that don't know who Bill Horn is, he's like the, the you know, the original and the best sort of thing. You yeah. Know? And so he's, so my husband is just like, but I was so, as you would say, in the zone. I was so just like, all I'm going to do with this show is do exactly what I know I can do at home. It doesn't, I can't control who enters. I can't control where they place me. I can't control anything except <clears> the <throat> fact that I'm going to do exactly what I came here to do that I know I can do at home. That mental shift there is the only thing that enabled me to be able to stand backstage at Ellen's and have them being like, are you excited? Are you excited? And I'm like, I'm going to throw up. And they're like, are you excited? Are you ready? You ready? 10 more seconds, nine more seconds. You ready? And I'm like, seriously, I'm going to throw up. I just want to walk out to the stage and not get sick. And I'm, but it's, it is a harder battle for me to do that without the horse present because I have trained myself to do it with the horse present, but I'm getting there. But yeah, the, that was amazing. When, once I, once I seriously, once I sat in the chair, I was like, all of this is icing. (laughs) I have now achieved what I meant to, which was walk out here without falling. (laughs) So it was Uh, great. Was she pretty cool? She was very cool. She was very cool. I ended up on there for three segments, which was, so I was actually sitting on the stage with her in between and it was it was really cool because that first of all they really do come out to touch up your makeup that they've 
put on you. And I'd, I remember scratching my face at one point and being like, um, this looks like a lot of mud under my nails. Do I have big marks <laughs> down my face? Help. And they, and they really do come out and check that. But she turned to me and she, you know, I just, she was like, she just turned and she just kind of kept up the, she was just conversation. She was like, so are you prepared for what will happen after this comes out live? And I was like, to the best of my ability, I am trying to be prepared for what could happen when this comes out live. You know, so she was, but, she was very engaging. But in all honesty, can you prepare for that? I mean, no, I, I wasn't, but I was trying. And I think, you know, the thing is, I think all you can do is the best you can do that day. So the question almost ends up being like, could I do better now that I know what I know now? Well, that's hopefully always true that I hope that I can do tomorrow better than I can do today. Because if I don't, if I'm not careful, I could get done with this interview with you and beat myself up over some phrasing that I use somewhere. I mean, I've done that over the years where I have hashed, rehashed and hash, hash, re, re, rehashed things. And there's not really a benefit if I'm, if I'm here and present and doing the best I can. And if that's falling down on the stage, then I guess I'm going to learn how to live through falling down the stage. And if that's phrasing something quote unquote wrong or wishing I had done it better, then I guess that's a life lesson that I can hopefully carry on till tomorrow. And so I was doing the best I could. And I think there's moments in life when you're aware of your inadequacies and that's where it gets really interesting to be kind to yourself when you're in that, that you, you can see both sides so clearly. Yeah, that whole being kind to yourself. I was talking about that uh, men's emotional resilience retreat I went to. And, uh, you know, there was an interesting group of men there. Like one of them was a former UN hostage negotiator who is now like an executive coach. But every single, when you got down to the guts of it, when you really got into the whole stuff, every single one of us there needed to admit to ourselves that we were enough. Mm-hmm. And we all had to be talked into it. No, uh, no matter what level of success they have, we all need to be talked into it. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think people, and I'm glad you're talking about this because I think people think, oh, well, Stacey Westfall. I mean, she's Stacey Westfall. I'm like, oh, I've got some, I got some issues, but she's got her shit together, basically. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's a really good saying, um, a quote from, um, Jim Carrey, where he says, I wish everybody could be rich and famous so they could find out that it's nothing you'd ever want. You know, that's not the meaning of life. That's not, that's not, that's not going to complete you. Mm-hmm. And I have talked in the past on the podcast about a book I read, a lot of books I've read, but a book I read a number of years ago it was called, um, backbone it was like men's self-help to self-mastery whatever and in that book he says that most men spend all their life trying to get four things at the same time material wealth vocational success health and love and most men are like yeah if i could just get that i'd be fine and rarely do does anybody ever get all four of those at the same time in one lifetime And so you just think, yeah, that's the reason I don't feel good enough because I don't have all that. But he says, 
if you are unlucky enough to get all that, then all of a sudden the, the truth hits you in the face like, okay, I've got everything I ever wanted and I don't feel fulfilled. What else is there? And so he goes on to say that you, you um, and this is leading to my next question for you, he says, number one, you have to know what your purpose is. What's your purpose here? Number two, you have to have a deep and authentic spiritual belief. It doesn't have to be religious, but you have to, you know, have a connection to something bigger than you are. And number three is you've got to get rid of your bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to ask you about getting rid of your bullshit, but I'm going to get, ask you the question of what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose here in this world is? You know, it's it's interesting because when I think about it, I do think everybody's kind of hardwired in different ways. And for me, it's about being an example of what's possible. For, like, and for me, the way that another that... Standing, another standing <laughs> ovation for Stacey Westfall. <laughs> That's awesome. And so if I'm, if I'm trying to be an example of what's possible, I happen to be hardwired to keep trying new things. It's... It's what shows up in that dedication, in that ride. And it's just this, like, it's this, really, it's a hunger for learning. But the fascinating thing about learning is that to be a learner, you have to be in the learner's mind. And to be in the learner's mind means you have to be open to the mistakes that learners make. So on some level, I've, without the words of knowing that, I've always loved learning. And in my mind, a lot of this has been learning about horses, but horses for me are the way that I view life. So when I had parenting problems, I would be like, if this was a horse, (laughs) if, if I, when I, when I have challenging moments, the best for me is to relate it because I understand life through the lens of horses. So horses are helping me understand life outside of horses. And so for me to say the, an example of what is possible just means what is possible for me. And all I can be is me. So how authentically me can I be? And if that's authentically me talking on my podcast about the fact that I'm still leading my horse up the road because this spring, the way he's acting, I'm going to lead him and I'm not going to ride him. And talking about that and realizing that there's some little part of my brain in the back that's like saying to me things like, like, well, you're Stacy Westfall. You, you, even if you experience it, should you really say that? I mean, are, aren't you going to just help whatever? Like it comes up with my brain, the back, there's a part of my brain that comes up with all that crazy stuff. I'm just way more aware that it's optional now. I didn't know it was optional much earlier in life. I thought it was just like the truth being broadcast from the back of my brain <laughs> that, that if I said these things, this was going to do whatever. And it's like, no, if I say something on here, and people don't like it, then they know me. And, and I probably triggered something in them, you know, and, and that's okay. Like that's part of the human experience. So if I get a horse, the most fascinating horses for me tend to be really challenging ones because those are the ones that they don't seem easy. They're the most likely to trigger something for me nowadays. It's usually curiosity, but for sure, when I was growing up and you know, my mom and I were in Maine, we'd try to, we'd read magazine articles and try to figure out like, you know, what to do when the horse didn't want to load in the trailer. Because my other option was I ended up riding her like 10 miles to the new boarding stable because 
we couldn't get her in a trailer. So it was like, well, I guess after school, before it gets dark, you better ride fast. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, it's, there's this dance that happens for forever. And I think it's just the, the beauty of having that awareness of I'm still hearing the, those things my brain wants to offer me, but I now see them as optional. You know, you said something there a second ago about you were open to, what did you say you were open to? Um, Being a learner and having open to the experience that learners have. And that a right. lot of times is, is, is failure. I mean, a lot of learning is, is not the prettiest stage of something. You know, I, something I wanted to, I thought about, you know, I've been thinking for the last few days about what we're going to chat about and what I want to bring up, but something I wanted to point out, and you'd know this, um, I want to point out to everybody listening is, you know, you are, you are now Stacey Westfall, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, but you are only, you went from Stacey Westfall to Stacey Westfall by saying yes to the opportunities that arose. And I think, for me, I'm a, I'm a yes sayer. You know, everything, all the, you know, the great things that have happened to me, if not because I'm a great planner or anything like that, I'm pretty much a, a wanderer. I just whatever pops up in front of me, I'll go. I'll say yes to. And 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 I think that's what you've done is you've said because you could have went, oh no, I was just doing the freestyle and I'm not interested in, in you know, taking this stuff any further or you know. You know, you told your web designer, hey, you know, we've got to, got to have the thing on the website. You know, you just basically said yes to, you obviously, you know, you're given this opportunity and you have said yes, I would imagine at every turn. And I think that's, you know, that's a, I think it's a great lesson for, for people who look up to you is, you know, being able to say yes, instead of playing it small, you know, I think that's a, a bit of a gift. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting line of thought because, um, because you're right that I have said yes to a lot of things. And it's interesting because I naturally am more reserved, which it's kind of funny to say that. Cause if you look at my track record, like just on paper, you wouldn't see that. But if you see me in life in general, I'm the person that walks in and you know what they're going to order. Cause I order the same thing on the menu every time I do. There's so many of my things that are so predictable that, that it's a little bit, it almost looks like a contradiction, all the stuff that I've done, but my best yeses have always been ones that came from that curiosity and learning because I've also said yes to things that I, that, that I wanted to say no to, but I said yes, because it it seemed right or somebody else told me it was right, but there was an underlying no in my body that I wasn't willing to, that I wasn't willing to acknowledge. And so, so it's been a long process of, 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 of dancing with those two things. Just go back to that example of, I said yes to my husband when he said, will you show this horse? Cause it would be better than her, but it was kind of a conflicting yes it was like I could do the yes from the point of view of this is better for the horse. But inside of there, there was a no because I didn't want to be in the public. I didn't want the pressure from the owners. I didn't want the pressure from myself about what the owners 
might think, I mean, they didn't even have to talk to me and I could feel pressure. So, so it was this, so it's been those conflicting no's and then to be able to slow down enough to say, okay, where is this fear of where, like, so where's this fear of showing coming from? You know, and that kind of got revealed to me when I was going through that whole process, getting ready for the, for the reigning futurity in 2003, after the major failure, it was like, I'm hanging a lot on the outcome. My fear is that the outcome won't be what I want. So then it's not like, it's not really about the showing anymore. It's about what I'm placing on the showing. Does that make sense? There's like a dance of how I'm viewing it. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to my next question for someone who, who, doesn't like the pressure of showing. Now, when you're showing a reigning horse, for those who don't know, you never are winging it. Okay. We are very <laughs> prepared people. We have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. So if you've got that hesitation about showing a horse that you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's on, and you know, basically you've covered all the options, how is road to the horse for you? You know, the, that was an interesting thing. And it was another one of those, um, blessings in disguise because when, can I just interrupt you for a second? Sorry. In case there's people who are listening to this podcast, have no idea what road to the horse is. Road to the horse is a, uh, and just happened again this year, just last weekend. It's a cult starting competition. So you've got, is it three days? it's, it's changed over the years. So when I did it, it was, you had the horse for two hours, the first day, one hour, the second day, and then obstacle course right after that. So this horse has never been ridden before and you've got to get that stuff done in, in three hours. And there's a lot of, you know, some people think it's great. Some people find it very contentious, um, you know, starting them in that amount of time, but let's not get into the judgment of the whole thing. What I want to know is for, you know, some people are pretty gung ho about proving to everybody that they know what they're doing. And, you know, it doesn't sound like you're that person, but then you get thrown into this situation and you say, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you, and you're not, you're not like a cult starter. You know what I mean? That's not your thing. I mean, obviously you've started horses before, but it's not like you know, you're like this big time cult starter thing, which is kind of the people that end up in road to the horse sort of mm-hmm. thing. So you've said, yes, you show up there. This is not what you are known for. How is it, how is it going into road to the horse being Stacy, the Stacy Westfall that you are, you know, how was that? That was an, it was an interesting adventure and time in my life because what, so knowing that I don't, didn't like showing, and that Jesse and I got married and we were training horses and I was having kids. I didn't like showing. I loved colt starting and problem horses because and a lot of those. So in the horse training world, a lot of times you've got show horses, which tend to be like the long-term customers because somebody will pay for a horse to be in training for a year or two or three. So those are kind of, they're, they're really great for paying the bills and, and for a whole bunch of other reasons, but just from a, financial aspect that they the long term of them is is a stabilizing effect inside of your business. But then you get a lot of 30, 60, 90 day horses, which tend to be cult starting and problem horses. Those were all the ones that I wanted to take because I love the creativity that's needed for both of those. That's one of my strengths is creativity. 
And, and so, and I love that I didn't have to show there was like zero pressure to show the horse cause it was there for 30, 60, 90 days to overcome whatever problem it had or to get started. So it kind of checked all the boxes. So from the time that we got married pretty much until 2003, I did as little showing as possible. Like 2003, I'll bet if we pulled up my NRHA record, that's probably the first year that I really took off showing because I was avoiding it if at all possible. So behind the scenes, I was like, Hey, I can stay home with the kids. I can start Colts. I can do problem horses. I love it. I'm in my element. And so I actually went to a, um, a meeting about redesigning the website and different, this is earlier than the, than the second guy. And they were like, well, you know, we what, what story are we telling here? Blah, blah, blah. And I tell exactly what I just said. I love starting Colts. I love problem. And they're like, you like starting Colts. I'm like, yeah, I love it. And they're like, have you ever heard of Road to the Horse? I'm like, no, I haven't. And they're, and they were like, well, um, you know, would you be interested? I'm like, I don't know. What is it? You know? And so they sent me DVDs and they were like, we make a videotape of you starting a horse. And so the next horse that came in, this two-year-old stallion that was getting started for raining, I'm like, okay, let's try this thing. And we put up the round pen and set a video camera on a tripod and hit record and went for an hour and, you know, and so I just basically videotaped doing it and sent that in. So it was interesting because that was definitely one that was, it was coming, like it was definitely a yes coming from like that openness and that curiosity and just that like, well, I don't, doesn't matter to me. So then they're like, well, what do you think about being the first woman to, com- woman to compete? And I'm like, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I love starting Colts. I don't, I'm not really seeing the downside. Okay. Having said everything I said, can you imagine what happened to me? Like when I walked into Road to the Horse, I'd never been. I'd never seen the event except for that one DVD. I walked in, I'm like, whoa, I am obviously not prepared for like the star factor side of this. This, And then I called Tootie. So we, I sent in all those videos and stuff during the summer. She called me to tell me that I was in and going to be like the mystery rider or whatever. She called me as... I was mounting up to show at the Congress in October. Like I am in my chaps. I have like, I have just about, I've actually, I remember I'd swung up on my phone rang. Jesse handed me my phone, told me I wasn't allowed to tell anyone. I swung back off, had somebody hold my horse. They're all like, what the heck is that? I take Jesse out behind like the tent barns in the Congress yep. thing. And I'm like, Jess, they just set him in for the road to the horse. And then I literally have to like go show like right now, like <laughs> I'm headed to the show ring. And so when, but then when they finally, when they announced that I was the person that was, I was the mystery rider, they, people started calling me and they were making this huge deal out of the fact that I was a woman doing this. I was honestly blindsided by the fact that like, this was a huge deal that I'm a woman doing this. And I'm just like, and the most frequent phrasing of it was, how does it feel to represent all women? And I'd be like, (laughs) dead silence. I'm like, not only are these my first interviews, I'm also dead silent for like, I, I don't, I have no idea how to answer it. I finally, I called Tootie. I'm like, can I see the contract again? Cause I do not remember the part where it said, I'm going to now represent all women. <laughs> so this feels a lot like this is a lot of pressure. So when I finally get to road to the horse, the biggest blessing that happened at road to the horse was when Martin got on his horse in the first 15 minutes. If you watch the video, 
he brings his pony horse in. He ropes that other horse. And he, I don't know how it happened because I was like in my pen doing my own thing. He is on his horse in like 15 minutes. And so who I the was other like, two competitors? Um, Craig Cameron and Van Hargis. Okay. And, and so like he is on his horse in like 15 minutes. So even though like I'm doing my own thing and I'm working like you out of the corner of your eye, that's not hard to see that there's somebody else on their horse. And I'm like, well, that is not something I can do. So you know what I should do? I should do me. You do and you. Yeah. I do me. And so at, um, at 40 minutes in is when I first touch my horse. I have one hour. I no, I have two hours. I now I'm getting, now I'm getting my hourly thing confused, but I'm 40 minutes in. And I'm 40 minutes in and I, and is the first time that I touched the horse. Wait, it was one hour the first day, two hours the second day, then the round pen. That's how it went. One hour the first day. And so 40 minutes in, I first touched my horse at like 30 minutes in this lady. It's all like a pin drop because there's so much happening in the rings. And this lady in the stand stands up and actually yells, get going, Stacy. Like, <laughs> because I'm so far behind because I didn't rope my horse and I'm doing like kind of classic round pen, you know, like turn, get the horse to yeah. turn to the inside, kind of that technique. And, um, and I'm doing that and it, it literally, I don't touch the horse until 40 minutes in and people are all like, she is insanely far behind. But as soon as I saw him on his horse, I'm like, I, I it was such a relief in a way because it was like, all I can do is what I can do. And it was awesome because the first day I'm gonna have to rewatch this video because I haven't have I haven't relived this for a while. But the but the first day I managed to get the halter on, get the bit in his mouth, but and you know and 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 bend him a few times. But the the big thing to me was that I got him to choose me. So he was coming to me. He was choosing me. And and even though it was not very visual on day one, you, as soon as day two opened you could see it was a game changer because on day two, the other horses are trying to duck away from being roped. And mine goes around the pen like three or four times, turns, comes straight to me and says, what are we doing? And I was like, okay, game on. And from that point on, it was just, it was, yeah, it felt fairy tale-ish in an exhausting kind of way. <laughs> you know, you remember um, when you were at Equitana in Australia and you were a judge for <clears throat> the way of the horse and I was the inner inner commentator. I don't think it was that year, but it might have been the, the, the two years before that. There was the first day, they, I think it's over three days, but the first day they had it, there was one guy didn't even catch his horse. One guy was riding his horse around, and uh, one of the announcers is like a TV personality sort of guy, and he plays polo, so I know it's a bit about horses, but he was the, the guy with the good voice, you know, kind of like this microphone does for my voice, you know, and... <laughs> We were having a beer afterwards, and he goes, oh, that one guy, he's useless. He hasn't even caught his horse yet. My money's on the guy that's riding his horse. That's really good. And I said, eh, that guy hasn't caught his horse yet, but he's, he's got a whole lot of stuff going on that you haven't seen yet. The other guy, he kind of got his horse pretty flooded pretty quick, and by the end of today, he kind of had him kicking out when he was trying to get him to go forward. I said, so my money is not on the guy who's on his horse. It looks like it's all impressive, but it's the foundation to go forward with. And it, there's not a whole lot of foundation on that one, whereas the other one that hasn't been caught yet. And so the next day when they come back in, the guy who hadn't caught his horse, within five minutes, he's got the halter on. But he's got, all, like, like you did, you've got all that, that underlying relationship going on that you can build on that. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it was interesting because I told Jesse when I got accepted, I was like, I don't know what to think about this. So I want to buy the horse and find out what I want to buy the horse and finish this experiment to figure out what's going on. And so I actually bought popcorn sat on the first day, like on Saturday, I bought him when it looked like I was crazy far behind. And it makes me wonder if that didn't in a way, almost it, it was a different level of commitment with or without the outcome. It wasn't like I bought him after I won. I bought him, I bought him because it was like, okay, dude, we're going to go through this together and we're going to experience this together. And then we're going to go home and we're going to unpack this experience together because the only one that I can figure out is going to tell me what the experience was like is you, (laughs) the horse that's in the pen with me. So that I wonder if that didn't have a mental effect that I never even considered. So road to the horse, is that after Ellen? It was, uh, no, it was before cause road to the horse was in 2006. So we had road to the horse in the spring of 2006 and then bareback bridalist live like you were dying ride in the October or the fall of 2006. And then we don't jump to Ellen until 2008. So you did Road to the Horse before the Live Like You Were Dying? Yes. Oh, really? I, I was thinking it came afterwards. Wow. I, so- did, I did really cool demonstrations. So basically when um, I did the coolest, I so wish there was a video, and it, it, but I did, I rode to Amazing Grace on Sunday morning, bareback and bridalist in the Coliseum as like one of my, you know, I'm doing all these prep things for the bareback and bridalist. It was it is road to, so, at Road to the Horse. At Road to the Horse, Sunday yeah. morning. It was so cool because you could hear a pin drop in that Coliseum. And it was just so eerie, the whole music and and the bareback and bridalist. And yeah, what I wouldn't give to have that video. <laughs> you know, you can go a lot of places and hear a pin drop. But I think like in a situation like that, not only can you hear a pin drop, but there's an energy. Mm-hmm. in the air that that adds to the whole thing too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go in an empty house and hear a pin drop. You go into an old cathedral in Europe and you walk in there and it's silent, but you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can yeah. kind of feel the energy of everyone who's been there before you sort of thing. So, yeah, there's that, that must have been a pretty amazing uh, moment. It is. I, I like that you brought that up because you're right. I think maybe that's what makes those moments, especially in a room full of horse people with a horse involved. I think maybe that's what makes those moments extra special because I live in Ohio. And so the bareback bridalist ride that went viral, my odds of running into one of the 5,000 horse people that were in the stands is, you know, relatively high. And I'll meet people that were like, I was there that night. And so the video the video is good, but the video is nothing compared to the energy in the room of 5,000 horse people knowing what, you know, like I think that, and I think that's why the bareback bridalist freestyles went so viral was because you see that it has to be built on a foundation of, of relationship and understanding to some degree, because this is not what normally would happen in a room with this much energy with a horse. And so there is this contrast that I think horse people are aware of when they're watching this whole performance. Yeah, because at the you know the freestyle at the Congress, the stands are packed, and the energy in that is almost like a really rock and bar. 
you know, you give them a bar <laughs> and like, you know, it's that real strong energy. It's not that yeah. silent, connected sort of energy. It's just like no, yeah. having a good time energy. And then you come in there and do that. And the dedication to my father right before. So you before took it. all the energy of... You took all the energy of that of that rock and roll kind of. You're right. I mean, it is like a party in the house. Like, and we were just Jesse was playing a raining video, and I was like, it is kind of funny if you're not from this industry to realize how much of the hooting and hollering and that kind of stuff that there's just an energy. But then they are even the announcer because I didn't Uh. I didn't give him the I didn't give him my write up beforehand because I didn't want I just I didn't want to feel it. I didn't. And that's why I think I got labeled, um, a deaf mute early on because when, if you watch me in that video, I'm sitting in the aisle way and I'm talking with people around me and I'm using my hands a lot because what I am doing is I am aware that I'm trying to fully put myself into the conversation. So I don't hear the announcer mm. read what I just handed him because I didn't hand that to him. He wanted to, he, he, the face he made at me because I ran that up right before, like, I was draw three. I ran that up when draw one was in the pen and I handed it to him and you're supposed to have already turned that in earlier so he can practice, but he just rolled with it. And that's why his voice breaks because he hasn't read it before he opens up the opens up to read it. So his voice breaks and you take all the energy of that, that party. And then you take that energy and instantly turned it. I never saw, I didn't see that coming. I wasn't doing it. I can see it after the fact, what it did. But for me, the reason I'm sitting there talking with my hands so big is because I don't want to hear it because I need to stay right. in the zone where I am. I can't go where the announcer is going to go and where whatever else could go. I just got to be me right here. And so that was, yeah. Yeah, that was Keith Bradley, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, the voice. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What a, what a ride that must have been. Not, yeah, the freestyle, but I mean... Road to the Horse, that, Ellen. Then where where where, did, where does one go after that? I mean, what 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 happened after that? Where did your life? What turns did it did your life take after those <laughs> things? Because of those things, we, because because the thing is, you like Road to the Horse has a different audience mm-hmm. than the freestyle of the Congress, and then this then there's the Ellen show, and that's. A completely different one, you know. Like you are, yeah. you are not just hitting the same group of people. You are becoming, you know, an overnight sensation or whatever that is to a lot of different audiences. So where do you where do you go from there? Where did you go from there? You know, you know. It's sometimes it's interesting because I look back and I think I I the I was having this really interesting conversation. So I was inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame in 2012, and so. I get this opportunity to go meet with this amazing group of women that are in the hall of fame. And I was sitting there, uh, the last, uh, 2019, when I was down there for the, for the induction ceremony. And I was sitting there at the breakfast and I was saying that I feel like when I look at my life, it feels like chapters or books. And so like, if I think back to, to high school, that feels like a book I have to like take off the shelf and remember so sometimes it's a completely different book. Like, so you graduate from high school and to me, it like is a close of one book and then the opening of another. But then there are other sections of life where it feels more like chapters. So when I look at my children or the way that I view my children, that's like a book that's still being written. Although maybe there are those big subsection 
pieces. So when they all left the house, it's like we're, it's a trilogy or it's some kind of a longer series of books. And so that book is still being written, but there are chapters inside of like my children's life that are, they're complete. And that's the story. That's the way it went down. And so I pack a lot in. <laughs> like, like Some days I look at my husband and I'm like, thank you. Because <laughs> I am, I'm, I do pack a lot in. And so some of the things that we've done after that um, were, you know, we sold our house in 2014 and uh, traveled for a year. We lived in a motorhome, homeschooled the boys and towed a horse trailer behind us and drove from Ohio to Maine, from Maine to California, from California back down through, um, you know, Alabama back up through. So we've had some pretty crazy, you know, things that we've done. And, and then more recently, like when I was in, um, when, when, when I was in Kentucky, so my husband took a job at Asbury university teaching horsemanship in Kentucky. And so I was there and I'm like in Kentucky and I was like, you know, I have always, wanted to know more about dressage. I took lessons as a kid and then, you know, headed down the road that I did. And I haven't, I, I never did do that. I want to take some dressage lessons. And it's kind of cool how the weird relationships you create over the years. So I knew Jane Savoy from an expo. And so I send Jane Savoy a message and I say, Hey, do you know anybody around Lexington that's not going to have a heart attack if like a seriously like Western kind of person shows up and I'd really like to just use my Western horse and I'm going to make a total fool of myself. Anybody that could tolerate that around here. And so she's like, sure, Reese would love you. So she sends me to Reese, um, Koffler Stanfield, who's just outside of Lexington. And Reese was amazing because I could be, she'd be like, okay, do dude, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, I got nothing. Um, can you either demo it or like, tell me a little bit about the body position? And she'd be like, okay, flip the crest. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like how, what are you, what are we doing here? Like, and I'd be like, I'm pretty sure that if you can show me what you're saying, I can do it, but I don't have any idea what your language is. And it has been such a fun, cool adventure. I remember I made some videos and they're on YouTube and stuff, but I'm standing outside the pen and I'm doing more of like that selfie th outside the pen. So n note to self Warwick, it's not a pen yep. when you're in the dressage world. And if you want to know all your, <laughs> they would laugh. They were so fun behind the scenes. I remember showing up one day and being like, Oh my gosh, it's a pajama party. And I didn't know, like I'm there in the morning, like two hours ahead of this, but whatever, but the show starting so I can braid my horse. And I'm like, it's a pajama party. What do I not know? Well, they're all wearing like, pants over their white breeches because they're, so they've all got like these they look like pajama you know and I'm like oh my gosh like and they are they were just they ha they were the most fun group of people and I was you know people had been like oh they're gonna be you know stuck up and they're gonna be blah 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 and they would they were like you are the most entertaining person we've had here you call it a pen you want to know about the arena you want to know about the you're, you're going to the ring you want to know about what like and I was like, I couldn't imagine a world where they told you what time you were going to ride and they were actually there. So I'd be ready like two hours early and they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I've had so much fun. So yeah, everything, bring it all. So the dressage you were just talking about, are you doing real dressage? You're doing Western dressage? You're doing cowboy dressage? What is it you're doing? Well, I, I wanted to do real traditional classical dressage. So that were, that was the lessons that I started taking in Kentucky, classical dressage. And people kept saying, why aren't you doing Western dressage? And 
I was pretty open about it. I was like, well, first of all, it's really new. And they say it's about building the foundation, you know, that the that, that classical dressage does. Plus, I grew up in Maine and I my mom and I had taken lessons and I wanted my and Mike Poulin was one of our Olympic riders. And we had gone up and taken a few lessons at his barn back in the day when I was like, I think my mom told me I was in the fifth grade. And so it was just like classical dressage was something I always wanted to know more about. But then when I moved, so I took, I took regular lessons. And then when I moved up here to Ohio, I was like, okay, I really want to go towards the Western dressage because this would fit a lot of my horse's movement. Like I'm, I'm, I can watch what's going on with the video stuff and I can see the athletic differences between my, my quarter horses and some of these warm bloods. So I think for the horse's sake, there's some stuff that could like, I think the Western would be fun like that, but everybody says that you can train like any of these breeds to, you know, you can maximize their learning through doing the, the traditional dressage. So I started, so I, so in 2019, I decided I wanted to go to the Western dressage world show in the fall. And my path there was through the traditional dressage all year. So I actually earned my, my bronze medal using my little reigning pony. Um, I earned my bronze medal in three months, three months in the beginning of 2019 by just going to, I just kept going to traditional shows, traditional shows and being like, you know, I'd, I'd go in and I'd ride a test and that'd come out and I'd be like, it says I need more bend in my loops. And they'd explain to me, I'd be like, Oh, I didn't know that was what I was supposed to do. Okay. Let's try that again. And then, you know, and it, but it was just such an adventure to go in and be totally, uh, I rem- it was like having flashbacks to those memories of being like standing outside the warm up arena being like, I'm afraid to go in there because I do not understand the traffic pattern in here compared to a raining show. <laughs> All the little things. <laughs> so, you know, there's some questions I have to ask you here, but my wife has actually given me a question okay. to ask you. And it's along the lines of this. We, you know, she has just last year bought two really nice rainers. Uh, one of them was really quite shut down, like very, very shut down, like very robotic, you know. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time with the relationship, bringing him out of that. And she's, and we want to go, she's wanting to go to the big shows, but after going to the, after going to the last big show we went to, she's now like, I don't know if this is really my path anymore. And so her question was, how, you know, it is what she wants to know is she still wants, she still has that competitive desire, but is it the really the reigning? And so she, her question for you was, is, is that a good step away from the reigning to go to the, like the dressage or the Western dressage or whatever, be, you know? Yeah, I think the Western dressage and I'm, 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 I'm really happy. I, so when I started it, I went to the judges school, not because I wanted to be a judge, but because I understood the importance of understanding the rules when you're going to go compete. And so I went and I've really gotten to know the people that are involved. And I really like a, a lot. It has a lot to offer. I definitely see it. I've been encouraging it for sure as a stepping stone on the way up to raining because raining has a high 
bar of entry. I mean, you've got to be able to spin, yep. slide, yep. <laughs> do, yep. like yep. that's like what you, holds it back worldwide. Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got like you don't. You, there's no lower level that's like right. walk trot only. My kids used to be like, "Is there a walk spin class?" When they were really little, <laughs> and they were like, "No, not yet." But, but so the Western dressage has been amazing. But so my little my little mare, my little rainy mare is a little bit hot. She's a hotter kind of a horse. And I could tell that by doing the dressage, I was helping her brain experience the fact that we were going to do some things that were more intense. And then there were going to be walking like the, like a long walk across the diagonal. It was going to happen in the middle. So I think there are really cool things that can happen for both the horse and the rider in both the classical and the Western dressage because of the the, it, the, you know what the hardest thing to do was the hardest thing to do was to f- let myself free my body up into what I would traditionally call more of a training kind of a body. Mm-hmm. I wanted yep. to, I wanted to like sit there and look like I was doing nothing, which does not give you a good score in the riders correct and use, uh, correct and, and uh, clear use of aids or like, or, you know, like, so you're supposed to show that you know how to guide and hold and handle. And that was the hardest thing coming from the Western world where kind of sort of when we show, we might sort of do what you said, which is hold our breath a little bit and maybe try to you know, like try to have it right there. And there's not that, that constant you're, you're in the dressage, you're being encouraged to do all of this. And that was hard for me to break free, but I think it helped the horses a lot too. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking when I was asking you that question, there's a podcast that one of arguably one of the world's best rainers does. Um, he's not born in the United States. So that kind of gives you an idea who he is. And in that pod, one of those podcasts, he was talking to someone who he had worked for. So if you know who I'm talking about, the first person, you'll know who the second person was. And they, are bo- they were both saying, both of them said, if I wasn't this far into what I'm doing, if I could start all over again, I'd start training cutting horses because they're completely different. They're not just robotic. They're, they're interacting with the world around them. And, and it was really interesting for me to hear that podcast where two of the best guys in the reigning world kind of said, we kind of don't like what they do. And, and I'm really at that. I'm not at that point, but I am, I'm trying to, trying to get those horses to be bright-eyed and bright-eared and, and trying not to, you know, uh, anyway, it's, 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 it's a bit of a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only going to the running shows now because Robin still has a desire to compete. I have no desire to compete anymore. And I think it's because I realized I was competing for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And now that I, you know, probably look at the world a little bit different, I, I don't really feel a need to do that. But anyway, we're spending lots of time here. I've got some questions I need to ask you. Can we get to those? We can get to those. Stacey Westfall, what is an unusual habit that you have? <laughs> well, that would be my morning breakfast. I am obsessed with Ezekiel bread toasted with Smucker's peanut butter and my coffee. And I carry it with me. I'll make it on the road. I carry it with me everywhere. And I'll eat it in the morning and I'll be like, this is the best meal ever. And my husband is like, I don't know how to compete with that. He's like, do you want to go out to dinner? And I'm like, give me a minute. I'm enjoying my peanut butter and toast with my morning coffee. <laughs> like, <laughs> and 
we were going out to a, a friend of mine flew in from Florida and she was here and we were headed over to the Amish area to have pancakes over at this really famous place and we're getting ready in the morning and I'm eating my peanut butter and she was like, aren't we going out to breakfast? I'm like, yes. And my husband's like, just let it go. Like she is not going to miss her peanut butter and her coffee. I'm like, that's right. I'm going to eat my peanut butter and coffee and then we're going to go to breakfast. It's an hour drive. We'll be fine. (laughs) You know, if you guys listening from other parts of the US or maybe other parts of the world, um, there is a quite a large Amish community in Ohio and Pennsylvania, I guess too. But it's so interesting when you go to an Amish town, like you're Drive, drive along and there's horses and buggies everywhere. And I remember being in Ohio one time and the, the car wash is not the car wash. It's the car and buggy wash. Mm-hmm. And there's people have got their horses pulled in there and they're, they're hosing off the buggy. They're, they're washing the buggy. And it's just a, you know, it's a glimpse back into a, an older time sort of thing that you don't, a lot of people don't get to see. I mean, I remember the first time and I know presenting it, equine affair in Ohio, I'd say every fourth person is Amish mm-hmm. that's there. It's really kind of cool, you know, and, and these are people who, you know, work, use their horses as farm implements. They're with them all the time, but they come to the demos and sit there and watch and, you, you know, you can see they're taking stuff in. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The, the Walmart over in Millersburg has a big, long shed to tie the horses in. So they built, instead of just having the hitching rails outside, at this point, they've got like this covered shed for them to bring the horses into. And so whenever we head over to that area, we're always like, oh, we got to remember to hit the Walmart. And people with us are like, why are we going to Walmart? We're like, yeah, you'll just have to see. And you pull in and there's a sign that says hitching rail and like it, it, it pointing to the right and you drive around and there's this big, it's got to be a hundred feet long, this big shed for all the horses to be tied in. So it's really funny. Yeah. I'd say, you know, any horse people from any other countries, you probably don't think of that when you think of America, but if you ever get a chance to see it, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Okay. Next question. Oh, this is a good question too. What advice would you give people about to enter your occupation? And these questions are stolen from or borrowed from Tim Ferriss's book, Tribe of Mentors. And in the book, when he asked that question, the in parentheses after that, it says, knowing that your occupation might be something that's completely out of the ordinary because what is Stacey Westfall's occupation? Can you, can you, you know, I'm kind of the same way. Like, yeah. what do you do? Like sometimes like flying, you know, when you're going to come back in the country and you got to put occupation, I just put all sorts of stuff there. Sometimes I'm an entrepreneur. Sometimes I'm a teacher. Sometimes I'm a life coach. Uh, you know? Yes. That's funny that you say that because that was the first thing that I did when I was, I was like, well, we're going to have to declare that I'm coming at this from the angle of a horse trainer, which okay. I just basically like reached back in my life and was like, because I think when I say that I'm coming from horse trainer, you can apply that to like professional horse trainer, or you can also, you can still hear the answer of what that means for you if you've got your own horse in your backyard and you are training your own horse. And so my answer to it is, you know, figure out, figure out you, figure out what fits you figure out who you are right now. So a lot of times, there's a lot of times when, when I look back, but even when I look forward right now, it's the same thing. It's like, so I think it's easy for somebody to say if, when you're a little kid or even right now, well, what's something you want? And you can throw something out there. You can say, I want to become a world champion, blah, 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 you know, fill in the blank in the horse world. Or you want to say, I want to make whatever I want to like, whenever you throw that out there, I think the next step is to say, 
who is that person? And I think that's why sometimes people will look up to role models because they'll say, I want to become like so-and-so, you know, so what you're kind of doing there is you're trying to figure out like what that end game is, you know, you're trying to figure out where you're headed. But I think it's really easy to lose yourself when you're doing that. And just you're trying to become something you're not. Now there's a dance between who you are right now today and who you want to be. But I don't think enough people recognize who they are today. Today, this is the person I am. This is how much energy I have. This is how much I'm willing to do. This is where I draw my lines. This is where I get energy from. This is what takes energy from me. Any of the about you, who you are now. And then when you look into the future and you say, say you, you put me out there as a role model or something, you put somebody out there as a role model. Well, then you have to look a little closer and be like, wait a minute, I can't even tell exactly what she does. Like you just said, you know, like which, which, which vein of that am I even admiring? And then do I really want to do that? And that's one of the reasons why on the podcast or the YouTube videos or different things like that, it's one of the reasons why pretty early on I started putting out the stuff that's the not so fun stuff that happens. Because when I did the Stacy's Video Diary Jack, I basically just documented training a two-year-old stallion from the first day I touched him until for like one year. And so he's going around and we went to the first horse show and stuff. And so I'm documenting that. Well, there's a, like, there's a six-week period in there where we do nothing because he's a little bit off and I just give him a time off. But people don't, that's not like sexy to like, how do you post about that daily? Still sore, still off, still whatever. So it's like, to me, that, that whole of like, be an example, it's not just the, the ups, it's also the downs. And so when you're looking into the future, make sure whatever you admire that you want the ups and the downs of that. And then you'll be all in. It's easy to go all in when you're willing to accept. This is the same recommendation I give for people buying a horse. I'm like, you're looking at it all wrong. Look for the thing that's going to drive you crazy. And if you're willing to live with that and it's got bonuses on top of it that you really like, buy it. You know, so like, don't look at this like, oh, it can spin a plus one and it can, you know, and it can slide, but I really can't stand how it is when I lead it back and forth and I have kids at home and I want to be able to be comfortable with them feeding when I'm gone. Like, oh no, no. look for the worst. Like first, you're going to obviously look for the kind of good things, but then you just, the fast shortcut, look for the worst things, decide if you can accept them and live with them. There you go. There you go. That's not a way of looking at things I've, I've thought of before, but that's a, that's a very cool, uh. Outlook. Okay. Last question for you. Everybody chooses this question. I have not, I've had one guest. I've had, this is like podcast 33 or four or something. Rather. I had one guest who didn't choose this question. Um, and I think it was Patrick King and it wasn't, he was avoiding the question. It was just, he thought the others were more fascinating, but you've chosen it. Like everybody else has, what is your relationship like with fear? <laughs> I was like hanging, waiting to figure out which one of these questions it was. I was kind of leaning towards this one. And I have a theory why we're all choosing fear. I was trying to explain to somebody who wasn't so much in the horse world, like a, a version of this answer with fear. And I was like, I think the reason that we're very in tune with fear is because that's one of the primary emotions we see reflected in horses. So we basically get really skilled at fear. Like we see fear, like fear is one of the things that we see over and over again with the horses. So, so I think that, I think that that, I don't know, maybe it's front of mind for a lot of horse people, but, um, 
I think I've kind of sort of answered it through some of the questions when we were talking about, you know, overcoming the things with like the Congress and stuff. But for me, there was a big, like, it was a relief to recognize a couple things. It was a relief to recognize that there's a difference between fear and danger. So that was actually my very first podcast was fear versus danger. Because I think for a lot of people, like my, my customer that typically comes to my clinics and stuff, they're a little bit confused that there's a difference between fear and danger. So I'll look at them riding and I'll be like, you are in danger. Like you need to get off and they'll be like, get off. And they're so in, they're so convinced that they need to push through it or do something that, that they're basically, they're teaching themselves not to listen to the fear. And I'm like, that is fear pointing towards danger. That is like, that is like getting in a car. Like I drove my friend to, when I was in college, my friend needed to fly home wanted to fly home. And so I, she drove us down in her car. I got in her car at the Columbus airport, went to drive back to Finley, two hour drive. Before I left the parking lot, I was like, I am in terror. When you put your foot on the brake, the brake was pulsing and there was this grinding. But as a passenger, I hadn't noticed it. But as the driver, instantly, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a miracle if I make it back and alive to Finley. And no cell phones back then. So this was just like, okay, here we go. So I get back. She didn't recognize that she was in danger. I instantly recognized fear and danger. And I think for the horse world, you have to remember that both are possible. This is a big, giant animal. You can get run over or hurt when you're riding them, bucked off, dumped, whatever, to the point of danger, like life endangering danger. So there's a, I think we walk a different line where if I decided to take up painting, I love art, I love painting. There can be fear in painting, but there's not as much danger in painting. So, so that my relationship is, um, is again, it kind of goes back to like, I use fear to, I, when I, when I feel fear, I want to know what it's pointing at. And then if it's pointing at danger, I'm not pushing through it. And if it's pointing at something where I'm a little tender because I'm afraid how somebody might view me or judge me or, you know, and I'm like, those, those I need, I I can, I can learn something about myself stepping into that fear. I had a guest on the podcast a while ago who's a writer. So she's very eloquent about what she said about things. But when she answered this question, she said, I think there's two kinds of fear. There's the fear you should listen to and the fear you should not listen to, you know, like the fear you should listen to is the danger. And, and I see a lot of people with horses, they don't listen to the danger fear but they listen to the other one all the time and it's like yeah yes yes mm. mm-hmm. yeah like when you say you need to get off that horse like why it's like because <laughs> know, he's that. about to lose his mind and you're gonna be in the middle of it yeah they'll be like you want to get on I'm like no no, no i shouldn't yeah. be on you shouldn't be on no that's this is a bad idea like you have no brakes like yeah. this is not good <laughs> the brakes are pulsing and grinding brakes are pulsing and grinding it's not good wow good answer well I think this might be one of our, my longest podcasts because I'm not sure too many of them have been over two hours, but <laughs> it's, it's been such a pleasure uh, chatting with you, Stacey. People want to know more about Stacey Westfall. Where can, they, where can they find you? Well, I think my best content is on my podcast, which is Train Your Own Horse with Stacey Westfall and my website, StaceyWestfall.com. And that's it. That's pretty simple. You got any yeah. like social media platforms? Oh yes. I'm, I'm across different ones. Um, but I'm definitely, 
you know, I've kind of dialed back how much time I spend in, in some of those areas. So my podcast is for sure my main focus because I just love the depth as, as you've, as we've just experienced here, I love the depth that conversation can take you into. And so I've really just gone head over heels there, but I'm definitely, I mean, I'm on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and in those different places, but, but the, the, the deepest content is on my podcast. And then I definitely see more, I get so many messages through so many of the platforms uh, that a lot of times it's easier to like leave a comment on the blog over, you know, on the website, because when you leave a comment there, the volume is just low. Somebody has to be really committed to go do that. <laughs> so yeah, so tell the me numbers about it. are lower, but I'm it's easier for me to find some stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's been, thank you. Anyway, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on here. I, I, it's good connecting again. I just love your energy. Like I'm energized just talking to you. You have this, this cool energy, this it's, it's, there's a lot of energy, but it's a good energy that comes out of you. It's just, it's fun to be around. I think you are not only an inspiration to a lot of people because of your fame, so to speak, but I really think you're doing the world a huge favor because you are starting to use that to help people, you know, experience a bit of personal growth, do a bit of introspection, do a bit of thinking about yourself and who you want to be and how you want to show up in the world. So I thank you for basically making the world a better place. Well, thank you for all that you're doing. It's, it's been fun to watch you doing all the different videos that you do and sharing, sharing your sharing your whatever you want to label it growth change uh, journey I suppose that would be the the best word and that's been really really helpful because I think it's when we it is it's like it's opening up to that and sharing it that then I think gives people permission to open up and 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 continue that journey and for me I know that one of my I was really willing to open up to horses but I look back and I think well, I was teaching people in a very kind of closed down way because I remember thinking, well, they don't want to hear that about me. Like they don't, they don't want to hear about that. They, they just want to know about how to get their horse to load in the trailer. And so I was doing it, but it was more indirect, like for me and the horse, it was all in there, but I wasn't vocalizing it because I remember like, I'm actually naturally very introverted and I was the super shy kid growing up, like just really kind of shy. And I I remember being like, people kind of scare me. Horses, I'm fine, but like people are kind of like my scary point. But as I've opened up to that, they're nowhere near as scary as I thought they were. It's been very, very rewarding for both both sides of it. So thank you for having me on here, even though I was a little scared to come because I still feel that. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for being honest about that okay well i gotta go because we've got a big day ahead i'm sure you do too thanks again for joining me and for you guys listening at home thanks for joining us on another episode of the journey on podcast and hopefully we'll catch you back here next time thanks Thank for you. listening to the journey on podcast with warwick schiller warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.